All right, Brother Board's going to come. I could say a lot, but I've already said a lot. We're just grateful for him and grateful for the times that he's around. We've actually used him a lot this week, uh, Thursday night, Saturday, teaching in the college chapels, and uh, so we thought we'd get everything we could out of him while he's here. And tonight's our last opportunity to do that, and we're so grateful for him and uh, what he's doing leading our team in Cambodia. And so our last chance, let's give him a warm, thankful Pacific Baptist welcome. Yes, I do feel used. I feel like I'm going into victim status. So I don't know, here in the state of California, is there any like subsidy I can get or anything for that, for victim status? No, okay, well then I'm good. So it's a blessing to be here, guys. Everybody doing okay tonight? Yeah. Okay, good. And um, guys, get the video cued. We're going to watch the video again uh, that we watched on Thursday evening. Kind of give you guys a little bit of a, a taste of what the mission field is like there in Cambodia. It's very short, five minutes then we'll get to what we're going to do, okay? All right, you guys got it? Okay, let's go for it. Hello, we're Dave and Debbie Board, your missionaries to Cambodia and Southeast Asia. We want to take a brief moment and update you on some of the things the Lord has been doing since the last time we had the opportunity to be with you. Four years ago, God allowed us to purchase a rice field located at the edge of Phnom Penh. By God's grace, we were able to see a church building constructed in just a year and a half. We thank God for this building that allows us to have a home base for our growing ministry for years to come. Through it, we believe that we will continue to see souls saved and new churches planted here in Southeast Asia. One of the greatest blessings that we have experienced here on the mission field was to see two of our sons married in this new building. After graduating from Bible college, Joshua married a faithful young lady in our church. So Nick and her family were reached with the gospel through our family in 2010, and it is a great joy to have them serve alongside us in the ministry. This past year, the Lord blessed Joshua and Nick with a wonderful son named Benjamin. After graduating from Bible college, our youngest son, Jason, married a wonderful young lady who was saved more than 10 years ago through the influence of a soul winner here at our church. Jason and Nisa serve together in our children's ministry here in Phnom Penh. The Phnom Penh Children's Ministry has provided the opportunity for many of the young couples and single adults in our church to learn how to love their own people, win them to Christ, and then to have a part in helping to disciple them to spiritual maturity. One of the greatest needs amongst young believers here in Cambodia is to learn biblical principles that relate to marriage and family. The new church building provides the opportunity for us to have special times of discipleship where the ladies can be taught about marriage and motherhood. Our married couples have also enjoyed the opportunity to fellowship together in our new building, as well as to be taught how to build their homes on the Word of God. It is a great joy for us to see so many of these young believers hungry to grow in their walk with the Lord and to see their children know Him from a very young age. The Bible College and Institute classes are an effective tool to train and equip the next generation to know the Word of God. This term, we have approximately 50 of our members enrolled in classes. We anticipate having five students graduate at the end of this year. It's been a joy for me to have a part in the spiritual growth of some of our college girls through teaching various classes in the college, as well as leading a weekly Bible study. This past year, the Lord led our church to start a Christian academy 
in order to train some of the children of our faithful members. We recently broke ground on a new educational building that will provide adequate space to train many more young people for the Lord. Join us in praying that the school will also become an effective tool that results in reaching many new families in our village with the gospel. By God's grace, we have been blessed to see the gospel reach into the Muslim community through the church plant located an hour from our Phnom Penh church. After sacrificially giving in a special offering to purchase the supplies, our members joined together for a work day and began construction on a new auditorium that will allow this congregation to grow. Our goal is to have this building completed by the end of this year. In July of this year, we were blessed to see a fifth church planted about three hours from our church in Phnom Penh. Join us in praying that these new believers will grow in their faithfulness to the Lord and that despite the persecution that they are already experiencing, they will be bold witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. As you see the faces and hear the voices of God's people singing here in Cambodia, please know that your prayers and your financial support are bearing fruit and it's our desire that it bears fruit to your account. Thank you and the Lord bless you. As I hear our folks singing there, I'm energized to get back. I hear um, them sing. I, we received video this morning of the services this weekend there in Phnom Penh and seeing a packed house and hearing the music service. I'll tell you what, when our folks sing over there in Cambodia, they sing with all their heart. It's a great, great blessing to serve there. Uh, we received an update from one of our national men. Uh, we have a new lead of a family living right near the Vietnam border. So tomorrow morning, which is basically, actually right now, because right now I believe it's about 7.30 in the morning, so probably we have about three of our national men traveling from our home base there to, uh, nor, uh, near the Vietnam border to follow up on this family. And Lord willing, this is going to be a brand new opportunity, uh, something that didn't even exist four weeks ago when we left to come back here to the States. So thank you, church, for having a part in everything you saw up there on the video, because you have been fellowshipping with us in the gospel from the first day until now. So thank you. And again, we invite you, we implore you, come and visit on a missions trip, right? We saw this morning, it's biblical. Who took a missions trip? Do you remember in, in our message this morning? Barnabas, right? He took a missions trip. The church had heard something's going on. They'd been investing in it. They'd been praying for it. They said, hey, go check it out, Barnabas. And he went and checked it out. And the result was, he was glad promise you if you come to Cambodia to check out what God's doing, the result will be joy. Amen? Amen? All right. Now, 
Uh, open your Bibles, if you would, if you have not already, to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And in the allotted time this evening, Lord willing, we're going to hear um, uh, a challenging and interesting uh, testimony from two different, about two different families. But uh, I want to challenge you with a thought here uh, from the folks there at Thessalonica and the Apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and eventually here we'll read verses 1 through 10, but let's start with verse number 1. You all found it? If you found it, say amen. amen. And if you haven't found it yet, just wherever you're at, just, just look intelligent like you found it. Sometimes I do that in Cambodia. I'll tell you a little secret. One of the frustrating things serving the Lord in Cambodia, when you always have new people coming in, and that's a great blessing, but it can get a little bit tricky when you're halfway through the message and they're checking with each other to find out where is the book of Matthew? It's like, so we put a lot of stuff on screens. It helps, it helps me not to have more gray hairs than I already do, okay? Um, all right, 1 Thessalonians chapter one, verse number one. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. A church, I want to point out to you that right here, actually in this passage, even verse 2 and verse 3, but we see three names mentioned there in verse number 1. Here we're reminded that Paul's strategy for missions, the strategy in the early church, was always team missions. Paul, if you look, if you read the Gospels and you read the book of Acts, Paul didn't go anywhere alone. He had a team with him. And here at a minimum, we see he had two other men with him. He probably had more than that. But I'm guessing that Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus were the key leaders. But if you read verses 2 and 3, which we'll get to in a moment, we, we see the word we and our. And remember this, be thankful for the team God's provided for you to serve alongside of. God's given us a fantastic team here. Man, as I'm looking this morning, as we parked off site and we're walking, we see a beautiful sight. We see many of our young people, I don't know, probably six or eight of them, pastor, maybe more than that, pushing the wheelchairs across the railroad tracks, okay? And we just watched them. What a wonderful opportunity we have to serve the Lord in that, in that capacity. But that's a team. So think of how you're serving here, you're serving the Lord here. You're serving with a team. Let me remind you that none of us are an island unto ourselves. People need our influence and we need the influence of others. Be careful about having an independent spirit when it comes to ministry. Amen. We need to be interdependent, Amen. right? And here, Paul had a team. And so he didn't say, hey, I'm Paul, and I'm giving greetings. You know what he did? He included the name of his team members. Praise the Lord for that. He recognized the value of a team, and we want to do that also. There in Cambodia, I thank God for our team. I thank God for our team in Laos. thank God for our team in Thailand. And we work together for the cause of Christ. One reason why I can be here in the States for four months traveling, reporting to churches, and really the church probably is not really missing a beat is because of the wonderful team of missionaries and national leaders that are carrying on the work of the ministry. Okay? Now, they're doing the preaching and whatnot. For those of you that don't know, you know, there's a difference, Pastor knows this, a difference between preaching and shepherding a congregation. Some of our national men are fantastic preachers. I wish you guys could hear him. I think Brother Vanak came a couple of years ago. Now, here's a little, a little secret about Brother Vanak. Number one, I knew he spoke English. I had no idea he spoke that kind of English. 
I think it was, like you guys did something generated with AI or something here in America. I think he was really speaking Khmer, but it came out as English. I was impressed at his English. Okay, I don't know who he stole that sermon from, John R. Rice or somebody, but it was good and deep words. But thank God for the team God's given us. So we see here that team missions is, is recognized in verse number one. Verses two and three. Here Paul thanked God for their example. Verse two, we give thanks to God always. Again, he's talking about his prayers for them. And as a team, uh, they remembered the church at Thessalonica. And he says, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and of our Father. So here he thanks the Lord for their example. But we come down to verse number five, and he, he's reminding them, he's remembering when the gospel first came to the people in Thessalonica. Verse number five. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. And as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. So the gospel came unto you not in word only, but also in power. Remember the message this morning, and we see there that there's, uh, there's faithful soul winning, and there's spirit-empowered soul winning. And Paul, in the book of Acts, chapter 11, had mentioned how the hand of the Lord was with the soul winners. And so many believed. Well, here again, we see that same concept. It says that the gospel came not in word only, but in power. Why did it come in power? Because the soul winners, the ones that brought the gospel... We're living a life, a life that was honoring and glorifying to Christ. And we're reminded again that that's a priority in our lives as well. Then he said, you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Do you remember when the gospel came to Thessalonica? Acts chapter 17. We don't have time to look at it, but let me remind you. The Bible says that Paul and his group went to the synagogue, as was their custom, and for three weeks straight went and reasoned with men out of the scriptures. Now, he would have stayed there longer than three weeks, but what happened after three weeks? Anybody remember? What happened in Thessalonica? What? I heard somebody whisper. What? A riot. Yes, a riot. Do you remember the Bible says that some believed and some chose not to believe? Let me bring up this, this point here because this is important. When Paul went and he reasoned with them out of the scriptures... Okay, he spent time, the Bible says he reasoned with them. He took the time to make sure he was thorough, he was complete in explaining to them the gospel. Again, he was dealing with Jews at a synagogue who had a respect for the Old Testament scriptures already. They had an understanding of prophecy. They had an understanding of respect for the prophets, for the law. You know what he did? He took those Old Testament scriptures... He didn't do a one, two, three, pray after me. The Bible says he took time to sit down and he reasoned with them. And you know, that's a model for our evangelism as well, is it not? Let's not be too hasty when we're sharing the gospel. The gospel is not hard to believe, but we need to make sure that the person hearing it has a thorough understanding of what it is God wants him to do. And Paul did that. I'm challenged by that. You know, there in Cambodia, they don't, generally speaking, have a respect for the Word of God. Serving the Lord in Cambodia and Laos, Thailand is much different than if we were in Mexico, than if we were in the Philippines, 
In the Philippines, in Mexico, they generally speaking, they have a respect for Jesus, a respect for the Bible. I remember handing out tracts in Manila several years ago and came up to a real hard and gangster-looking girl, red hair, tattoos, torn clothing, the whole deal. I'm like, man, I have to give her a track. I don't know what she's going to do. Gave her a track. She looked at it. And there in the Philippines, they do tracks a little bit different than we do here. Their track didn't say, you know, God loves you. It had a picture of Jesus actually hanging on a cross. Maybe something we wouldn't do here at our church, but that's the way they did it there. And she looked at that. You know what? She melted. She just became a totally different personality. There was a softness that came over here, and she held the track, and she said, oh, Jesus. That didn't mean she believed the gospel, but what I'm saying is she had a respect. We started out from a, a position where she had a respect for the word of God, a respect for Jesus. Someone like that, all they need to do is understand that Jesus paid the price already, right? Religion says do, 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 but Jesus says done. But there, amen, praise God for that. Praise God, we're not trying to work our way to heaven. We don't work our way to keep our salvation. We're secure because of Jesus Christ, because he's faithful even though we're not always faithful, right? So we want to be thorough. We want to do like the apostle Paul did. And his team did. They sat down and they reasoned. They weren't afraid of questions. You know, I remember years ago going to soul winning training years ago, and the guy doing the training said, now, when you're presenting the plan of salvation, don't let them ask questions. Just keep right on track. And don't spend more than eight to, eight to ten minutes on your presentation. If they don't accept Christ in those eight to ten minutes, move on to the next person. Wow, that's not what we see the Apostle Paul doing. The Apostle Paul was thorough. Be thorough. Okay. Number next, we see that his authority was not what he said. He reasoned with them out of what? Out of the scriptures. And so that's why the Apostle Paul says that we are to become uh, students of God's word so that we know how to adequately, to accurately defend our faith from the word of God. By the way, as a church member, even not a Bible college student, we ought to be able to take the word of God, sit down with someone, and explain to them why we believe what we believe. Right? Can you do that? If someone asks you a question, and I won't pose different questions due to time. Now, we would if this was a college class. And we do in Cambodia. We'll throw it out there. We'll say, okay, guys, next week be prepared Come to class prepared to explain to me why we believe A, B, C. So that's a very important thing nowadays. 2023 is a little bit different maybe than it was 30 years ago. I was reading an article recently and it talked about how when churches grew in the 90s, in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, majority of church growth in America was actually transfer growth transferring from one church to another church. So it's like this. You get mad at Dave Board's church. You get mad at Dave Board. I know that would never happen. That's why I use myself as an example, okay? I'm going to go to Pastor Meyer's church. I'm mad at Dave Board's church. So you transfer, okay? Now, a lot we could say about that. That's not really church growth when you look at it. When it comes to new names being written down in glory, they're, they're, it's the same people. They're just mad at each other and they're bouncing around. 
And so in our country, um, we see that many uh, smaller churches uh, closed because people would join these big mega churches. You know, they wanted the children's program, or they wanted the type of music the church could offer, or they wanted a family fun center, or they wanted whatever. But the bottom line was there wasn't actually more Christians being created here in this country. And this article went on to talk about that if we're going to be planting churches now in 2023, we have to know, Christians, how to deal with people that have no church background at all. They have no respect for the word of God. That in fact, because of the craziness in our culture, the craziness in the media, right, they actually automatically have their defenses up and they don't want to hear what we have to say. So that is the audience we're trying to reach. We're not trying to attract people from another church, specifically a church that's gospel preaching. And so we have to be like Paul. We have to be like these early believers where they could sit down and they could give defense for the gospel. Why do we believe um, the word of God? Why do we believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? We have to be able to defend our faith out of the scriptures. Let me encourage you, if you don't know how to do that, get with your adult Sunday school teacher and ask them for advice. How can I become better equipped to be a student of God's word? For too many years, Christians in America have simply sat in a pew, listened to preaching, not learned how to think for themselves, not learned how to determine what is right, what is wrong. We, by and large, here in America, sad to say, are not Berean Christians. What did the Bereans do? When the Bereans heard preaching, they studied, they made sure that what was being preached was accurate, was the word of God. By the way, another thing this article said is, if you're going to do ministry in 2023, you need to be prepared for members to sit there in the congregation and fact check you on Google. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, come on, people wouldn't really do that. Well, so uh, do you remember our, our worker seminar on, was it Saturday? And I, and I asked you guys, I said, okay, is ye plural or is it singular? You guys remember that question? And, and, and some people thought it was singular, some people thought it was plural. And I said, listen, it's plural, okay? And so someone came up to me afterwards and they said, I thought it was singular. But I checked it while you were teaching. Sure enough, it's plural. Sure enough, they fact-checked me on Google, right? So the bottom line is this. The days of being able to just stand up and wing it, we should have never done that. And I know we've never done that here in our adult, adult Bible class, okay? As long as you're teaching the choir, you're going to be fine. But when we continue to do what God's allowing us to do now and reach new people, okay, people coming from church backgrounds that don't have a clear understanding of the word of God. Preaching in the auditorium is essential and it's great and it helps every single one of us. But we as individual believers have to know how to sit down with the people in our class and reason with them and convince them and show them. And by the way, if they have the Holy Spirit, it won't be hard to convince them. Because the Holy Spirit convinces them. But I think you understand what I'm saying. So when the gospel came, he said, listen, it came in power. God's hand was on that thing. And it didn't just come as the word of man, but it came as the word of God with much power. And they sat down, they reasoned out of the scriptures. And Paul made it clear that his authority was the word of God. And we see in Acts 17 there that some believed and some chose not to believe. Now, I like it when we present the gospel, we spend time with someone 
they understand the gospel, they're in Cambodia, they count the cost, because there is a cost to be paid in much of the world when you become a believer, okay? And then ultimately, they decide to accept Christ. I like that. That makes my day. But you know, the truth of the matter is, sometimes people choose not to accept Christ. Let me remind us, church, we're not, quote-unquote, successful as soul winners because someone prays a prayer or because someone accepts Christ. In God's eyes, he's pleased because we obey the command to go and warn them. Don't come back from soul winning feeling like you're a failure because four people didn't accept Christ. Now, if they do truly accept Christ, praise God. That's a reason to kill the fatty calf, amen? But if they don't, okay, have you obeyed the command to go and be a witness? At work, you're witnessing to your co-workers. They're not responding positively. They're choosing not to believe. Okay, Christ is honored if you've done your part, right? And so we see there in the book of Acts, uh, Paul was reminding them, hey, do you remember when the gospel came to you? They remember, no doubt, that the group that chose not to believe, they became envious. They didn't like Paul and his team in the gospel. And we know they rose up and they caused a riot and they spread lies. And they said, hey, this is the group that turned the whole world upside down. Now, I think that might have been a, been a bit of an exaggeration. What do you think? Probably didn't turn the whole world upside down. But it definitely, those soul winners definitely turned that city upside down. Hey, I wonder if someone was to cast an accusation at our church, how would they describe our church? Would they say, hey, that Pacific Baptist church, they just love everybody. They care about people. They care enough to go and pick them up and bring them. They care enough to go and push them in a wheelchair to come to church. Would that be how they describe us? I hope so. I hope we would be known as a place where people can come and find hope. Amen? May we not be known for something that is ungodly. And so these men here, hey, you've turned the world upside down, and what they do? They went in Jason's home, dragged him out, and beat him. Wow. That's a wonderful start to a new church plant. Amen? But I like what we see in verses 6 through 8. So verse 5, the gospel came, and he reminded them of how it came. They knew clearly how it came. But verses 6 through 8, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. Right? There was that riot. There was persecution right away. With joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were examples or examples to all that believe in Macedonia and, and Achaia, and from you sounded out the word of the Lord. Okay, I want you to notice the word sounded out. Out. So if you look at our slide here, verse 5, Paul says, The gospel came unto you. But in verse number 8, we see the goal, the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is for them, them to receive the gospel, to grow in that gospel, and then for verse number 8 to take place, out from you, or from you sounded out the word of God. What does that mean? That means the gospel didn't stop with them. They received the gospel. Someone brought them the gospel. There was much affliction. There was a riot. There was beating. There was persecution. There was investment of three weeks sitting down and reasoning. There was a lot of energy expended. Sleepless nights expended. The ultimate goal? See them come to know Christ. Some accepted, some rejected. Those that accepted it, okay, they really received the gospel. It came unto them so much so 
that it sounded out from them. The gospel didn't stop with them. It's like the baton was passed off. I remember in high school when I ran cross country, you had a baton. You don't want to be the one to drop that baton. When you're running, you drop that baton and the team loses because of you. It's not a good thing. Church, let me ask you this. Has the gospel come to you? Do you remember when it came to you? Paul was reminding them of when the gospel came to them. I think it's good once in a while for us to take time and remember when the gospel came to us. What were the circumstances? Who did God use to bring the gospel to us? Probably a number of people. Where were we at? Who was with us? What changes have taken place in our life? And then we have to ask ourselves, hey, if I've received the gospel, is the gospel sounding out from me? Am I known as a believer who has taken the baton and keeping it, uh, uh, kept it hidden here under my jacket and I pull it out when I need it? Or am I constantly trying to sound out the gospel? And the challenge tonight is this. We have to be the type of a church, and I believe we are, but even more so. We have to be the type of church that passes on the gospel. Every single one of us. Can you imagine this time two years from now when we're back, Lord willing, the Lord tarries, if every single one of us would get a vision and a passion and beg God to allow us to just win and disciple just one convert over the next two years. Now, we can win more than that, but we can really invest, let's just say, in one person. We'd have to go in building phase number four or start double services in the morning. And that's not the goal. Maybe start a new church. Do something to impact our community, but the point is, the gospel has to sound out and has to continually sound out. Can I tell you, many, many independent Baptist churches, the gospel stopped with them. It was those four and no more. They're content. Their building's paid off. The staff is happy. Everybody's hunky-dory. They just continue to live the Christian life. That's not honoring to God, right? Now, here's the question, and I'm posing it from a child's book that maybe some of you may remember when you were a child, it was entitled, I don't know if it's still out there, What If Everybody Did That? How many of you ever saw that book before? Okay, a couple of us. Okay. What if everybody did that? And the author of that book, uh, they posed different scenarios. And the, the goal of that book, the objective of that book was for children to understand, listen, other people can do wrong things, and you shouldn't do it, because of, if, if everybody does wrong things, it's going to be a really messed up world. So take responsibility for your own actions. And she posed questions such as this. A little boy went to the zoo, and he fed the bear popcorn. You know how at the zoo it says, don't feed the bear anything. Well, the little boy fed the bear popcorn. Well, the zookeeper came and asked the little boy, hey, what if everybody did that? Another scenario, someone was in a grocery store and, and they're having fun with the grocery cart and they're, they're having competitions, pushing it down the aisle to see how far it would go. Now, I know none of us would do that, right? Now, I've ridden on the back of the grocery cart and, and done that, okay? But that was many years ago, right? And so the manager comes to that person and says, hey, what if everybody did that? Another scenario was a man's going down the highway and he throws a Coke bottle out the window. And the police stop him and say, hey, what if everybody did that? Well, then the question we're going to pose to us tonight, what if every believer in this church had the passion for a walk with God like I have? 
Ask yourself that question. Not like me, like you have. What if every believer in this church shared the gospel like you did? Dad, what if every dad had a walk with God in a secret life that wasn't hidden uh, dishonesty like we saw this morning that we need to get rid of, but a life of integrity? What if every father had the level of integrity and secret life that you have, Father? And we could go down the, down the road. What would our church look like? Right? When it comes to this matter of soul winning in the gospel, what if everybody else around us was the type of a soul winner that we are? Would Long Beach be a place where we could say the gospel is sounding out from this church? I hope so, but maybe not. Maybe there's areas in our, in our, in our life and in a way that, that we interact with the loss that, that God would want us to change. And I think that would be God's desire this evening for us to make that decision. I want to share with you a couple stories here, testimonies. I love testimonies from the mission field of a couple of families, a couple of individuals who received the gospel. The gospel came to them, but it didn't stop with them. Once they got saved, they got saved to a level where they became burdened for those around them. Let me share a couple stories here with you. So this man here um, is named Cheap. He's in his mid-70s, probably 73, 74 years old. Um, he's from an ethnic minority group in Cambodia called Jam. The ma majority of Jam in Cambodia are Muslim. Now this particular man is not just a Jam man, but he was a very, very popular, a well-known, a well-respected, a rather affluent witch doctor in the Islam religion in Cambodia. This man was responsible for organizing ceremonies like this. Let's say a family member gets sick. Okay, to give you a little bit of background to understand the background that our John people come from. A family member gets sick, their first thought is not to go to the doctor and get medicine. Their first thought is we need to call a guy like this because our child, our grandma, our mom is sick. Why? Not because of a disease, but because of spirits, evil spirits. And by the way, there in Cambodia, evil spirits do cause sickness. And men like this, okay, now there's fake witch doctors and there's real witch doctors. He was a real witch doctor. And he was used greatly for many years, for several decades, in the power of darkness and under the control of the devil to do a lot of bad things, deceive a lot of people. And he became enriched through that. There's a particular ceremony that nearly all of our John adults have been through at one time or another before they accepted Christ. He would have overseen a ceremony like this. They would take a bull, they would sacrifice the bull just like they would in the Old Testament. They would take the blood and they would sacrifice it to the devil. And as they would do that, the one organizing the ceremony has a little team with them. Evil spirits would begin to indwell the people who are leading that ceremony. And the ultimate goal was to try to supposedly draw out the evil spirit from the person that was paralyzed on the bed. We've seen this on several occasions. Someone who couldn't get up for weeks, months at a time, paralyzed. The family finally gets the $3,000 necessary to perform this ritual. They call the witch doctor. They call the people that will get demonically possessed. They all become possessed by demons. And... Those demons then indwell the person who's sick, who's paralyzed, 
that person will get up off of the bed and begin dancing in a circle with the workers. This is the kind of thing that he was involved with. Very evil, evil religion. You say, well, that's only in the book of Acts. That stuff stopped. No, it's still going on. And by the way, it's going on because there's no light of darkness in those communities. I'm sorry, there's no light of the gospel in those communities. It's only darkness. That's all they know. You know, this man heard the gospel. He told me he heard the gospel when he was a young adult many years ago. He heard the gospel from somebody in Cambodia. But he thought it was so absurd because he had never in his entire life heard of a John person becoming a Christian. Because in their mindset, to be, John, uh, to be John is to be Muslim. If you're a Christian, that means you're from the West. And so he wrote it off. He forgot all about it. And so for many years, he was involved in doing ceremonies like that. By the way, let me say this. Every time the devil speaks, he lies. He never tells the truth. He's never out for our best interest. When he lies, he always speaks lies. False religion is cruel. False religion is cruel. To demand $3,000 from a family that's desperate, and here's what happens. Grandpa gets up, off of the bed for about a day, maybe 12 hours, maybe 24 hours. He seems okay. Pay the fee, which doctor goes on to the next village or whatever. Tomorrow, Grandpa's right back on the bed paralyzed because it's a lie. The Bible says the devil's come to rob, kill, and destroy. And he used Mr. Jeep as a victim for many, many years to lead many other people deeper and deeper into spiritual bondage. Approximately, I don't know, 12 years ago, 10 years ago or so, 11 years ago, great persecution came against our congregation that was meeting there in the John Village. We haven't written about that much publicly just for security reasons and whatnot, But there was a group of about 80 men prepared, ready to drive the church out by force. They had weapons. They had the whole deal. They were there waiting. But before that could happen, there's some things that had to happen to allow them to do that. One was the village chief had to give his assent. He had to agree. Well, the village chief had made a decision to reject the gospel. I remember compelling him to accept Christ. Took him to a restaurant, asked him, will you please become God's child? He rejected the gospel. Two weeks later, persecution broke out. But before persecution could break out, there had to be a council that met to vote. Do you remember when Paul was part of the council that voted to martyr Stephen? Well, they do the same thing. A council of elders had to meet together to decide how are we going to drive these Christians out. Mr. Jeep was part of that council. He was part of the group of men that gave his vote to drive out the Christians by force or by threat, whatever it took. Well, a number of things happened over the last decade, but Mr. Jeep was watching the testimonies of the salty Christians. Remember this morning I talked about salty Christians. And he watched that though they were persecuted, though some of them were forcibly divorced from their husbands, lost their inheritance, lost their land, their name was erased out of the family book, they literally had nothing Uh, material anymore, but yet they continued to live with great joy. And it baffled him. Because you see, though he had money from his his occult uh, work, he didn't have joy. He didn't have peace. Because peace does not come to anybody who does not know God. 
but specifically to someone who's serving the devil. Right? And so over the last decade or so, he's been watching our people. And a day came when he came and began talking to some of our uh, older adults. And they began to sit down with the word of God. And they reasoned with him. They shared what God had done in their life. They were witnesses. And they shared with him of the hope that lies within them. And God used that in his life to show him that he was in need of a personal savior. That what he was doing was wrong. Ultimately, he would die and go to hell. And God used that to show, bring conviction, show him his need of salvation. And he got saved. Amen. Praise God for that. Hey, thank you for helping the gospel go to a place like Jeep's Village. But when Mr. Jeep got saved, he had one supreme goal. He wanted to learn as much about God and grow as much as he could. He said, listen, pastor, I have adult children. They're deep into the occult also. They're going to die and spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. I have to make up for lost time, and I've got to learn as much of the Bible as I can. What can I do? You know what? Today, he's a student in our institute. Bible Institute. Imagine that, 70-something years old. Here's the thing. Every, I only get to see him every few weeks. He's part of one of our satellite ministries. Every time I see him, he thanks me. Pastor, thank you for taking the gospel to Cambodia. Well, I pass that on to you all. Thank you for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Here's the thing. I'm normally a pretty nice guy when I preach, but every once in a while I get a little bit mean. The meaner I get, the more he loves it. He sits right on the front row in Bible college classes, Pastor. And if I say something that I just know the young people need, and I think, ah, probably Grandpa's not going to get it. Man, he loves it. And he's even gone like, da-da, you know, like that. He loves the Lord. He loves the lost. And you remember years ago, he drove, physically drove our church out. But here we see on the right-hand side the four men with the uh, three with the hats. He's standing there with a the little turban thing on his head. You know what that was? That was a work day when we were building the church auditorium that you all saw in the video. He was part of the work crew. Out there working in the sun and the heat, getting all filthy. This is before we started working. But he was there, front and center, ready to do whatever he could do as a 70-some-year-old Christian to make a difference in his village. He wanted a church building there here, this middle picture in the bottom, you know what he's doing? He's leading a team of national soul winners to go to a village, a Muslim village, where there's not one believer in the entire village, but where he has a lot of friends. And we met together. We had two teams. I think we bought about 40 uh, to Batambang. We stayed there two or three days, had to rent guest houses, the whole deal, meals. It was a big deal. Several cars. We had all the John people go together because we didn't dare bring Cambodians into the John village. Could have a lot of trouble, right? Could have a riot. But the John people were welcome because he's an elder and he's well-respected there. But I remember meeting at a restaurant about two hours from that village and we had to make the final decision because he got a call while we're on the road and they said, listen, don't you guys dare come to our village. You come, there's going to be big trouble. Well, I'm not going to make the decision for us to go. And then you turn on CNN News and you see all of us there as martyrs. Now, Dave Bord, he just wanted to know. So I left that decision up to them. I said, what do you want to do? There's a lot of other villages we can go to. We've traveled already three hours. What do you want to do? He said, I'm going. Anybody in? You in? Come with me. If you're out, go back home. Do whatever you want to do. But I'm going. Well, he was going regardless. Well, the entire group of John people that were part of his team went ahead and went with them. And you know the amazing thing 
again, the devil tries to, to, tries to scare us from doing what we're supposed to do sometimes. You know what was waiting for our group there? It wasn't violence. It was people so shocked that though our soul winners were threatened, they decided to go anyway, that they were receptive, and they said, here, let's have a banquet at our house. They, they, create, they, they, they cooked food, and our people sat there and ate before they shared the gospel with these folks. God is good, amen? His adult daughter accepted Christ on this trip. Yeah. So praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for a believer who had lived in darkness, had heard of the gospel, trusted the gospel, and was not willing to hide the gospel in his lapel and go to heaven alone. He knew he had to pass on the gospel. He did not want the gospel to stop with himself. Thinking here of this family. This man see not. And the lady's so pip. He's a tailor and she's a seamstress. By the way, they can take designer clothes from anywhere. Go to the mall, go to Macy's, buy whatever you want, bring it to Cambodia. They can replicate it for you this time tomorrow. They'll make you a perfect copy. It looks awesome. But it's C-Not brand rather than whatever brand. Very, very gifted. Very skilled. Well, when we started the church in 2010, my family and I rented a house directly in front of this family, and we saw them there working, and once we got settled in, we made it our, our goal to begin to build a relationship with Sinat. Now, you know, when people ask, well, how do you lead Buddhists to the Lord? I don't even know how to say that. You take each person as an individual, right? Gospel message doesn't change, but people are different, so we've got to figure out how to build a bridge to people. And so for this guy, I found out, okay, uh... He used to be a police officer. Uh, he used to live in X Village. Uh, he had several other things that we could connect about. And nearly every evening, I would go over after he was done working. I would check and make sure all his clients were gone. He had closed up shop. He was ready to sit out in front of his house and get some fresh, well, that's not fresh air. Get some dirty air, but the, it's fresher than the air he was breathing inside the house. And I would go over there every evening, sit down with him, and just shoot the breeze but looking for that opportunity to plant a seed. Now, you know, sometimes when we go soul winning, we try to present the whole thing, and that's what God wants us to do sometimes. Sometimes we discern that if we present the whole load at once, we're going to burn bridges, and we won't be able to go back and try to win them to Christ. And thank God that in this situation that I did not dump the whole load on him at once. I didn't know it, but... Every time he had ever been exposed to soul winners, someone handing out tracks, whether they were cults or whatnot, he didn't know. But every time he would receive a track that had anything to do with Christianity, it would enrage him so much, he would tear it up and throw it down and throw the people out. Well, God allowed us to rent a house directly in front of him and build a relationship. And for several weeks, we'd go over there every evening, talk and listen, talk and listen, and then throw in just a little something. He knew we were Christians, but he didn't know what that meant. We didn't take the Bible and shove it in his face. He wasn't prepared for that yet. But we knew at the right time God would open the door. We believed that. I remember several weeks into our friendship, um, we got to talking about problems that were happening in society and how families were falling apart and right and wrong. And, and, and the Lord allowed me to ask a question. I said, Sinai, do you know right from wrong? He said, yes, I do. And we, you know, we talked about that. I said, how do you know what is right and what is wrong? You know, obviously the government tells us some things are right and wrong and whatnot, our parents, but there's other things we know by nature. I said, how do you know what's right and wrong? And he said, I have no idea. I said, well, it's your conscience. He said, oh, what's a conscience? So I explained to him the conscience and the whole deal. 
And then I asked him, I said, see, not where did your conscience come from? He said, I have no idea. He said, where did it come from? I said, I'm not telling you. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. You're on your own in this one, buddy. See you tomorrow. You think about that. Well, you know what? He did. He thought about it all day the next day. Thought about it while he was sleeping. Thought about it the next day. He was prepared with an answer when I got there the next evening. He said, Dave, I think I know where the conscience came from. It came from God. I said, you got it, man. You got it. And then I said, which God? He said, oh, I have no idea. He said, which God gave me a conscience? I said, I'm not going to tell you the answer to that. By the way, that's not necessarily, okay, okay, this is how we win Buddhists to Christ. Ask them a question and don't answer. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying in this case, God used it to soften his heart. Which God? He said, I have no idea. I said, okay, tomorrow night, give me an answer. Came back the next night. He said, I think the God that created me. Well, he had never learned the Bible, but you know what? By nature, he knew he wasn't a product of evolution. He didn't come from a monkey. He wasn't an accident. He knew there was a God that created him. He just didn't happen to know who that God was. Several more questions were posed and whatnot, same type of scenario, and posed a question one time. I forget exactly what the question was, but it so troubled him. And I didn't get a chance to see him for like three days, for whatever reason, on the schedule or something. On that Friday, he came, knocked on our door. Hadn't seen him in three days. Opened the doors. Hey, see not? What's going on? And he, he simply said this. He said, I think I'm going insane. I said, what do you mean? He said, I haven't slept in three days. Right away, I knew. I had an impression that this guy was under conviction of sin. He had heard enough of the gospel. Questions had been posed to pierce through that resistance that he had. I said, would you like to sleep well tonight? He said, I would. Brought him into the house. We sat down at the table, began going through the gospel presentation, got to a verse that talked about a moving from light to dark, I'm sorry, from darkness to light, from spiritual death to spiritual light, uh, life, right? And he said, yeah, that's what I want to do right there. I want to do that. I want to get out of spiritual darkness and I want to be in the light. So we had the opportunity to lead Sinat to Christ. Now you have to understand, uh, Sinat's wife, Sopip, is from a Chinese Cambodian background. Chinese Cambodians are hard-headed, okay? They're typically much more faithful to their culture and their religion. Maybe a little bit more arrogant, especially as a businesswoman. And after Sinat prayed and thanked God for salvation, he had one question. As soon as we got done praying, he looked at me and he said, I have a problem. What's your problem, man? He said, my house is full of idols. My business is full of idols. Out in front of my house is full of idols. What do I do with those idols? Well, following the way I've already built this relationship with him, I said, that's not my job to tell you what to do, brother. <laughs> right? By the way, if someone burns an idol, gets rid of an idol because I tell them to, they may resent me someday. They may resent God. But I said, you have the Holy Spirit within you. If you're truly a believer, you need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit telling you to do with those idols? And he said, that's easy. I know exactly what I have to do. I said, well, then do it. That was Friday. Monday morning, early in the morning, he's out there smashing up idols, smashing up altars, has a big old recycle bag, and sold it to the recycler for 12 cents. 
It cost him hundreds of dollars, but the recycler bought everything smashed up for 12 cents, 500 reels, for those of you from Cambodia. I think God was rejoicing. See, not was definitely happy. Guess who wasn't happy? Mama wasn't happy. Okay. And this story could be exciting. It could go on for weeks. It would be a great story in junior church someday, make flannel graph and the whole deal. So Pip hated it. Ooh, you know who hated it worse than so Pip? So Pip's mother, mother-in-law. Because in the family, see, not didn't call the shots. Mother-in-law caused the shots. Okay? She hated us. But you know what? For five months, she watched the change that took place in Sinat's heart and life. And he used to be an angry, bitter man. He was bitter about some things that happened in the past. He was a slave of that bitterness. By the way, if bitterness is part of our life, bitterness will control us, but bitterness cannot change our circumstances. But he had no ability to let it go until he became a believer. And, and God really changed and brought about healing over those five months so Pip saw that she had a brand new husband. One Sunday morning, so Pip shows up in church, sits about right back here. I was shocked. I had no idea what she's doing there. Got done with the service, went down to talk to her. Hey, Bong, good to see you here. Hey, bro, sister, good to see you here. Don't you think it's time for you to accept Jesus Christ? And she had a big smile. She said, I'm already a believer. I said, since when? She said, last night, Saturday night. I said, really? I said, who was with you? She said, nobody. I said, well, tell me about it. She said, for the last few months, I've been considering and watching the example of my husband and my teenage daughter, Sri Nick, who accepted Christ several weeks after dad accepted Christ. I've seen the change in their life. And I've come to understand they have something that I need. And if God can change, if your God can change my husband to become the man he is now, I want that God to become my God also. So she had been witnessed to many times by her husband. See, her husband wasn't one of these guys that took the gospel and kept it to himself. He said, I'm the husband. I'm going to share the gospel whether you want to hear it. And he just did it. He shared the gospel. She knew how to be saved, but she wanted to see proof that it was real in his life. She wanted to see, hey, has the gospel really made a change in your life? Or are you the same old guy? Is it just an, a trick? But his life had been changed. She accepted Christ. Okay, Now, several things I want to say, but our time is fleeting. Today, Sinat and Pip serve together. They're still tailors and seamsters, but you know what? They're faithful folks there in our church who are winning people to Christ and making disciples. I guarantee you this weekend, they were spending time with new believers. Uh, they've led several of these people here to Christ. This family here in the bottom corner is a family that's away from the Lord, but Sinat and Pip are helping to, uh, mentor, to, to, to basically woo them back to the Lord and helping to mentor them as a, as a younger couple there. Thank God for the power of the gospel, and thank God that the gospel came to a man who was not willing to keep it to himself, but to pass it on. Hey, has the gospel stopped with you? Are there people in your life that should be saved already, but because we lack maybe the boldness, maybe we lack the faith to tell them again? Maybe at one point we used to warn them, we used to be burdened, and we've given up, and we just, hey, they're not going to get saved. Hey, don't be like that. The gospel stops with us, God is not pleased. One of my favorite parts about Sinat's story course is that he's going to heaven and so are those he's influencing but today my son is married to his daughter and we have a beautiful little grandson 
The gospel really does change destinies. Thank God for believers in Cambodia who when they get saved, they have a great conviction that they want to see their family saved and they're willing to pay the price. It might mean being uh, disowned by the family. It might mean uh, losing your inheritance. Uh, For some of our young people, I know we've had teenagers in our church before that when they come to Sunday night church, they get back home, their, their parents know they came to church, they get physically beaten. I'll never forget a young man standing up in our church named Pao Gong. Some of you that have been there know him. He stood up during testimony time. At that time, he was probably 16 years old, Chinese-Cambodian young man. And he said, it's so great to be here tonight with my brothers and sisters, even though when I get back home, my mom will beat me because I'm here. But he said, it's worth it to be in the house of God with my Christian family. See, he's not a Christian who's willing to just keep it undercover. He wants to pass it on. Now, his mom's still not a believer, but by God's grace, he continues to try to live for the Lord. How about you? How about me? Hey, let's not, let's not rejoice in our salvation any less than folks who have only known the Lord a few short years. Let's be a church, let's be an individual, let's be a family that receives the gospel, and then we pass it on. We seek to give it to anybody who's willing to listen. They're not willing to listen, just keep trying. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's stand together. We're going to bow our heads, close our eyes. I'm going to hand it back to the pastor. Tremendous message for us tonight. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. I want you to consider that. Who's going to get the gospel because of you? And let's maybe move beyond that. Who's going to be encouraged and strengthened in the faith because you are the one to help them. Let's not be content with just showing up to church. Let's make it our goal to make a difference in somebody's life. Is the gospel stopping with you? Is encouraging someone to go forward in their faith stopping with you? Well, that's not the staff's job. That's all of our jobs because we're Christians. Let's get serious about this thing. This world needs us. Piano's going to play. If God spoke to you, why don't you come? Why don't you come?